Hello, this is the Ethical Business Podcast. My name is Janet McLaughlin. I'm the founder and managing director of a company called Marmee Limited. We're based in Yorkshire. And I'd like to um, introduce my co-host, Matt Pallister, my right-hand person. But also I'd like to introduce our um, very special guest, John Burton. John, you're the founder and managing director of Pretty Clever Studio. Is that correct? I'm founder and creative director. Creative director. Okay. First of all, thanks for reaching out to us to, you know, to talk about your journey, your ethical business, because let's face it, that's what this podcast is all about. And I thought I'd start because um, when I looked on your uh, profile and, and did a bit of research into your business, I just loved this particular statement. We're smart, caring, ethical folks who are keen to make a positive impact on the world. That's why we want our business to be a force for good, improving the lives of employees, people and their communities and doing right by our planet. I I just love that. I mean, where did that, I mean, where did your journey start down this whole route of the ethical business? I think probably during my 20s and 30s, I went through a bit of a period of adjustment of my own morality and values. And I was starting to kind of be more aware of, of my place in the world and I think that happens to to quite a lot of people and I've been a graphic designer for a number of years and worked with a number of different clients so I mean it's probably good to start at the beginning so I'm not um, trained as a graphic designer so I went through school system I, I went to a grammar school and that was kind of very academic led and if you weren't if you didn't kind of excel at kind of academia or sport you kind of just glided through that system and and I did that I came out the other side and there was always a I think a slight nervousness from teachers parents me um, about kind of going down a creative route so I ended up going and studying law at Kingston Uni at the age of 18 and that lasted less than a year, um, <laughs> and I and I exited, um, having not done my kind of end of year exams. And that was around about the time the sort of fees had started to come in. So I left with a little bit of debt, and then I decided to go and do a foundation in art and design at a local university called AUB, and that's a fantastic arts led university that we've got here in Bournemouth. After that. For whatever reason, whether it was maturity or whether I just couldn't face kind of institutional education any longer, I left education and then just fell into a series of jobs, mortgage advisor, like college admissions. I can't any of those. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And then eventually ended up a, a, as a credit controller. I travelled between kind of London and here. And then I worked for a large FMCG company as a credit controller. And then um, I think I was probably about 25 at that point and, and just hated it, just hated everything about it. Um, it just wasn't for me. Um, and then ended up having a kind of Jerry Maguire big moment where I left that business and I was like, I'm never doing anything I, I don't want to do ever again. In the background, I'd, I'd always had the kind of creative stuff. I'd spent my time at like uni, just like uh, when I was studying law, just doodling, drawing pictures of teachers and, and things like that. Flattering ones, and, I presume. 
Uh, oh yeah, very. Um, <laughs> and then I had like some friends that were in a band and they like asked me, said, oh, you do this kind of stuff. Do you fancy kind of knocking us up a CD cover? And I remember getting the spec for the artwork, having never worked in the industry. And it said like, add uh, like all this kind of stuff of what you need to do to prep the artwork. And I was like, what on earth are they going on about? I've got no idea. So felt completely out of my depth. But it was something that I really enjoyed. And then my grand passed away when I was like in my kind of early 20s. Um, and I remember my mum kind of coming to me and go, she didn't, she didn't leave you anything, but there's some money from, from the house. And you've always wanted one of these fancy Mac computers because I was working on like a, a computer that wasn't wasn't any good for what I was trying to do. But she was like, how about I get you one? So I was like, amazing. So... Then I had the equipment and I just spent all of my spare time just kind of teaching myself how to use the software, what to do kind of, and it wasn't as readily available with the information it, like it is now. I mean, now you can go yeah. to YouTube and you can kind of just learn a profession. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So I did that. And then, and then I managed to, I had a friend who was a very good friend of mine who was a graphic designer at a local agency and he'd followed a kind of more non-traditional route and and he got me a, an in into this agency where I worked for free for a short while and then I went on to a very low salary and I worked there I can't remember how long I worked there but but for a couple of years and then myself and my wife she wasn't my wife at the time but we decided to kind of go on a bit of an adventure go to London for however long we wanted to kind of chase some dreams she got a job at the BBC and I moved without a job. And then I went through a period of, of not getting a job and going, why? Why am I not getting a job? Um, and then I had a really honest conversation with a recruitment consultant. And she was just like, people are just putting your CV in the bin. They're, they're just yeah. not interested. I didn't have a degree. And to be, you know, I probably thought I was a much better designer than what I actually was. And I'd look back at some of that work now and I'm like, oh dear, uh, that's why I wasn't getting it. But, but there, was a, there, was a, there was a guy from an agency in London that um, obviously saw a little bit of potential, saw where the gaps were, took me on, and I spent four and a half years there, I think. And we were kind of embedded within the cultural sector. So it was lots of projects that were very creative, which was great. And it was a, it was a really steep learning curve but I've always had the desire, I think, to run my own business. I've I've listened to a few of your podcasts and and <laughs> a lot of other podcasts, and people, it's always like, oh, it's it's happened by accident. Um, you know, I never never sat out on this path. I I did. I I kind of have worked for people and struggled with that for a multitude of reasons. So I kind of thought, I want to I want to see what I can do. Do you think you struggled because your values weren't aligned or, you know, what was missing? What do you think was missing in that relationship with the businesses that you worked with or that connection you had with the business, do you think? I'm wary about sounding a little bit grumpy, but I think my, my biggest problem is I've always worked in quite sort of, before that, quite sort of corporate environments. Yeah. yeah. And I think that my personal experience of that has been, there's there's a very evident hierarchy in those organizations yeah. and yeah. the way that people are treated dependent on their level of hierarchy is is not something that that sat 
very well with me. I think you treat people, it doesn't matter whether what job you've got, whether it's the lowest in the company or the top, you treat everyone the same and with that equal level of, of respect. And I think I, I struggled with that a little bit. And that and the fact I, I like to be busy. And I think that's the difference, isn't it? With an ethical business, it is about, it's not just about the business owner or the leadership team. It's about the whole business. It's everybody within the organization. I mean, I struggle with the corporate world because there is that hierarchical system, which is very evident, which actually removes a lot of freedom and scope to be, to do things that are different, to do things that are more meaningful because our society is changing. I think, you know, where we're going, where we're moving to, this is the decisive, they say this is the decisive decade and those kind of attitudes to that corporate world are becoming less accepted by the newer generation and people like us. Absolutely, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm of a completely different generation to you, I'm assuming. I think I am. I, in fact, I know I am. You know, my mindset is that the way it was before, I didn't like it. So why would I want to create a business that follows that same culture, that same mindset? And I think with candidates as well that we meet now, you, you certainly see it in them as well. They, they're in the driving seat. They're saying what yeah. they're looking for. And I think employers have had to massively shift, especially since, you know, COVID to, you know, allow for people to come into the workplace, have a more autonomous kind of you know working environment yes you know you've still got to train them you've got to develop them but they they want that freedom to be able to be a little bit more creative no matter what sector they work in I think so you went a bit bonkers and decided I'm not having that I'm going to do my own thing yeah so when when I got the job in London the 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 questions around the interview where you know what do you want to, where do you see yourself in five years what do you want to do and I was like I, I want to do it for myself I want to kind of run my own studio so after a few years in London it came to about 2012 we'd done you know a small job on the Olympics I'd just finished working on a big project that was rebranding Commonwealth Foundation at the agency uh, that I was at they're called COG they work specifically in the kind of cultural sector, cultural and art sector. They're a great, great little studio. Yeah, so I finished there and then there was a kind of a moment that myself and my other half were like, do we buy a very small flat or do we go and buy a house with a garden um, and, and try our hand somewhere else? So we moved uh, back to Bournemouth. I spent a lot of my time kind of growing up here. And the view was that, you know, I would start my own studio. And that was 2012. And I did that for a number of years, but it was as a sole trader under the guise of a kind of studio name. And we would kind of work with people like when we needed them for other skill sets. I was always a bit nervous about growing a business, I think. I didn't really know what to do. Uh, and then obviously going through a period of, of, questioning my own morals and where I stood on things as well. I started to fall out of love a little bit with the idea of capitalism and business as as it was. And then in, I guess, around about 2017, 2018, I was on a website for Cotopaxi, who are a ethical clothing outdoor-y type 
brand looking at their stuff. And there was a little badge down the bottom of the website that said B Corp. And I clicked it thinking, what, what is this thing? And I read it and it just resonated. And I'd never really considered um, the idea of, of business being leveraged to achieve good before, like using that framework that's already in place to kind of achieve good things. And so that kind of shifted my mindset a little bit. And in 2019, we launched Pretty Clever. So myself and my wife is a shareholder as well. And that was with a view of trying to do, we'd done some work in in the what I label the for good space. So we'd work with some charities and things like that uh, and really enjoyed that work. And so we wanted to kind of really try and focus on doing some more of that going forward. And I don't think the the goal from day one was to be exclusively within that for good space. But over time that that has evolved in into that and that is what we do now. And do you think that that as you continue to evolve the business, you know, and grow, do you think that you'll you'll stick to those those core values of working within that space? Or if, you know, if you've got a client that came along, came along that didn't sort of stick true to those values, but, you know, was a was a big client for you, do you think you'd you'd go for it? So do we think we will always stick to those? Yes. Uh, we've turned down work based on wow. the fact that it's not right for us. We have and to. yeah. Yeah. And, and I'd say we're quite strict about that. So there was a there was a period of time in COVID that was quite tough for us and, and we were approached about quite a large project. Large for us as a small studio. And I turned it down and there was nothing wrong with it. It wasn't anyone doing anything wrong, bad. There's a, there's a kind of, there's a, there's a sliding scale, isn't there? Um, and they were, they were fine, but we turned it down because it didn't align. And, and actually I wondered at one point whether I'd live to regret that, but we're still here. And, you know, I think just, an, I'm just going to read out another thing that's come that's on your website, which I really loved and it resonated very clearly with us as well. And with businesses that we work with, and we actively seek to work with those clients doing the same socially and ethically minded clients those operating in the for good sector or on projects that have sustainability, the environment or community at the heart. We want to work with brave companies who have strong values and want to do business in a better way. You know, it's interesting. I was talking, um, I was talking earlier to my husband about the preparation for this uh, podcast. And I was talking about there, there are definite advantages to being an ethical business from as a business owner and someone who's wanting to create a legacy business, which I won't always be involved in. This is, I'm building this team around who will take it forward because it's not for sale. A lot of businesses in our industry, they want to grow big very quickly. They want to get A players in, you know, I'd rather get a C player in or a D player in and mold them and grow them to be an A player if that's what they want to be. I mean, I just call them really good people. Quite frankly, I don't want to give them a label. But, you know, it's for them then to take the business forward. And what's really exciting when you create a business in the way that clearly you have is that you have the opportunity to let these people, not everybody can create a business on their own. Not everybody has the funding to create a business of their own, but they can actually 
be a significant player or part of the future of the business and, the, and how it, the direction it goes in. But that's where clever recruitment and appointment and absolute commitment to doing, always being brave and saying, no, we're not going to do that because it doesn't align with the values that we've got. But being like that, don't you think, I don't know what your plans are for expansion, but we went out uh, before Christmas to get some investment so that we could grow the business. And it's sitting in a pot there just, you know, so that we can grow, we can bring more people in. But one of the things that I was really concerned about when I went out for investment was how would an investor see our business? Because we're not driven by money. Although money makes us survive, we have to be commercially viable. Otherwise, we might as well just go home and give it up. But but we're not driven by that because, you know, we know that if we um, are brave and we stick to those values, that the business will grow because people will trust us, you know, and also people who work in the business trust that we're doing as a leadership team, we're doing what's really right for them as well. So they'll stick with us and help us to be more productive. I mean, how does that reflect in your own business model? What do you, you know, do you see if you're going to invest or do you think they're going to look at you more favor because they know, actually, we know John's not the kind of guy who, if we give him a load of money, he's going to go off and buy a brand new car or a big house with a massive big garden. You may already have one of those, actually. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I wish. In a ranch somewhere down in Bournemouth, you know, down in, what is it called? The place that, are you talking about sandbanks? Sandbanks, that's the one, yeah. How do you think that's going to work for you as you want to grow? So, yeah, so I think I think there's quite a lot to unpack in that. Going back to the point of, you know, would we ever deviate from our values? No, we're, there's there's people that we just categorically won't work with and, and we're quite open about that. You know, that's, that's the obvious ones in terms of, you know, gambling, petrochemicals, pornography, that those kind of industries uh, that we just won't touch. And then we're, we're actually doing a piece of work at the moment internally to, to see how we can start to, to grade some of those clients that that we work with and that's a really really tricky thing to do and it's historically it's been it's been done on on gut feel but there is some some thinking that goes into it the thing that you'll see on our website is uh, people planet community and the first thing that we try and quantify is you know is there is there a kind of instant tick for this organization that we might work with them? Are they a charity, a not-for-profit, a social enterprise, or a B Corp, for example? So any one of those, and you know, you've got interest. If not, what are you doing? How does it satisfy, you know, one of those or multiple variants of, of people, planet, community? In what way does it feel genuine? You know, can we find anything around kind of the, the mission or vision statement that, that's outwardly facing where we can kind of do a little sense check? When we bring people on, we're, we're quite good at kind of discussing that with the wider team. We are building that into a process at the moment where we kind of sit down and round table it and go, anyone got any objections? And then the the really tricky thing at the moment is because everyone in the team is, is different and has different values, it's how do we build a team that believes in that particular client that we've brought on. So say, for example, one of our designers is, is vegetarian. There's no reason in theory why we couldn't do a B Corp food company that that sells sausages, for example, would I ask the designer that is 
vegetarian to work on that project or if they're comfortable working on that project probably yes i would and if there's a way to kind of avoid that then then i would give that person that that opportunity to avoid something that that they don't believe in that that's trickier as you kind of grow i mean you don't i've been warned um but it is it's a bit of an experiment at the moment and i and i think it's it's a valid one because we get the best work when people are excited about what they're working on and 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 I think that's that's really important to have that kind of belief system in it. Um, I was reading something recently, and there was a, a Deloitte do a, a millennial survey, or uh, I think they've started bringing in Gen Z now. And I think it was as far back as 2018, where they they had 49 percent of that millennials turning down a project or work based on the fact it didn't align with their values. So it it's going to be critical. Um, I think that because we're quite fussy about who we work with, that that instantly ticks a few boxes straight away when we kind of when we bring that on. And then I was also talking to someone recently, and and around that very question of like how do you, how do you kind of make it financially sustainable? How's where's the business model? And I think that when we first decided to do this we parted ways with a couple of clients and then we were like what have, what have we done what you know we've niched ourselves and i've always you know ignored people going niche yourselves find you know you'll do better for it and i was like we've niched ourselves in this for good space and now we're finding that that for good space is so vast that we're now kind of going well where where do we sit within the for good space there's so many people out there doing some amazing things and then we're really, really proactive about going going after work that we that we want, and reaching out to people that we like. So that conversation I had recently was like, "You're you're small. It's kind of it's it's easier for you. Um, you don't have the overheads and things like that." Well, it's, it's it still works on the same scale, um, yeah. and and we are really, really proactive about kind of reaching out to people that that interest us and that we find you know. But how do you? I mean, this is one of the biggest challenges we have is that. In our industry, which is typically, well, I think you can probably describe what it's typically like yourself, but, you know, in an industry like ours, running an ethical business is in itself a challenge because you've got to, niching in a particular market um, becomes much more complicated because, uh, you know, if a market, if a particular market then has a significant downturn, then everything is all your eggs are in one basket, which is why we deliberately decided not to niche. But what we did decide to do was we decided that we would work with businesses that were more aligned to the way that we work because we were putting human beings into their, into their operational care, so to speak. So therefore what you're looking for is you're looking for businesses that have a, a strong management culture where it's about that the focus is very much on the workforce and doing good as far as they can do but it's more about when someone goes into a business will they feel valued will they feel safe will there be that psychological safety to enable them to perform to their best and go home and feel satisfied now if we niched into one particular market we'd probably struggle with that but I think the going out to get new business is always our biggest challenge because we're fighting in this we're swimming this treacle of 
not so ethical reputation, so to speak, but not ours, thankfully. But you know, that's that's where it, that's where it is. I mean, you when I look at back at your background, you know, you were in sales, you were in credit control, you've got you've got quite a diverse background before you went down this journey, this creative journey. So that must have been useful for you when you're going out to to build your business as well. Everything happens for a reason, you know. So yeah. it's kind of I've got I've got those there. They are useful skill sets. I wouldn't say I am a particularly brilliant businessman. I'd say <laughs> I'm probably better at the creative stuff than 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 the business stuff because that relies on a lot of discipline and structure and the things that I don't maybe have in abundance. Uh, yeah. But that's where that's where my other half's been really good. I mean, she's you know she's the kind of that MD part of the business to make sure that kind of the health of the business is good day to day. She also comes from quite a strategic background, so she's been really useful at the kind of that side within the kind of the brand stuff that we do. So I think with a small business, you end up kind of wearing many hats, don't you, and and doing different things. And I think that yeah, that's where her strengths lie, and, and, and mine are, are definitely more on that kind of creative side i mean there is a you know being a smaller business that i suppose where we start because we're like you you know we're we're not a huge business we have got definite plans for growth and you're in that growth what we're very mindful of and you know we discuss this very often is how do we ensure and we not how we must we must still ensure that those moral values that we instill in our um, team or enable them to continue doing it. Like, for example, accountability, trust, all those those sort of moral aspects of what they do. We call it good old Catholic guilt, to be fair. None of us are Catholic. I don't think any of us are Catholic, but, you know, we use it that, that guilt culture of being mindful of the impact of everything that we do. And as a, as a business leader and, you know, people who are running teams, you know, we have to, they have to see that in us. We don't wake up and say, today I'm going to be morally correct. It's just part of who you are. Yeah. You know, would you agree with that sort of statement in terms of yeah, it's just I th- who you I are? You are or you're not? It's it's being authentic, I think. And yeah. it's kind of there's 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 a lot of content out there at the moment on, you know, buzz buzzwords around purpose and sustainability and things like that 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 clearly aren't, but also, I think there needs to be a little bit of tolerance around accepting that things aren't perfect and not everyone's perfect. We're not perfect. We're we're a no. long way from it. It's it's part of a journey. But we want to we want to be consciously making those decisions about work all the time. So as part of our kind of our process. So when we've recruited, we've never interviewed anyone that hasn't mentioned ethics in the application. Because it's it's one of our USPs. And there's two there's two areas that we kind of that we cover. So one is that we are deliberately building a very kind of strategic design thinking team that are very capable of solving problems using design to do so. And the other part of the USP is is that we work in the for good space. And I think it's not something that you can force. And it's it comes with a desire to want to do better. So when we've hired anyone that hasn't mentioned it hasn't got an interview right rightly or wrongly but the the values are so important to us you're going to have to come and live and breathe this day to day and there has to be a kind of a positive approach to it because 
it is quite it's quite hard sometimes. And you know, I've had members of the team where they're like, I'm reading this stuff day to day about kind of the sector that we're in, and and it's quite it's quite overwhelming sometimes. It can be quite doom and gloom. And actually, one of the things that we want to do is is to kind of really reframe that. And I mean, we're incredibly resourceful as a species. And actually, you know, this is our time to to do something positive and and to use uh, the tools at our disposal in order to kind of sh- shape the future that we want. I think it's also, you know, the, the difficulty for the you know the newer generations that you know the, the generations that will come. Or you know that are, are trying to establish themselves in a career is the temptation to follow the shinier sort of side of work. You know where they say, "Oh, we do this and we do that," but actually, when they get in there, they realise that that's just not there. It's you know, for me, a more wholesome approach is where they go. Where you know, when I'm looking for somebody, I'm not looking for, as I said, an A player, whatever that is. I'm looking for somebody who has that those values that I know that they can apply to the work that they do on behalf of either the hiring business or the candidate. And they've got to be equally, that the investment's got to be equal for both sides because it has a huge impact on either side. So would we, if you come into our team, we're completely opposite to the most people in our industry. And I love that. They're not bothered about going out and doing the usual thing that our industry does socially, you know, but we do know how to party, don't get me wrong, we know, but it's it's that balance, isn't it? And it's those values that are really hard to find unless you already know yourself what your personal values are, what your business values are. And, you know, I, I was reading an article and um, and it sort of did, did um, resonate really strong. It said, we're never going to be billionaires. Our business might never be, a, you know, worth a billion but I'd rather it was worth a lot less, but it had more meaning and people were happier in it than we're just constantly chasing the pound note. You know, we have to make money because that's how we, that's what businesses do. But as my husband said, how many happy billionaires or ethical billionaires do you see? Well, I don't know because I can't speak for them, but you know, you can create good businesses without just focusing on that you know, money will happen or business commerciality will happen if you do what's right because people will be drawn to you. Yeah, and I think that there, there is definitely a money shift happening. So I, I've never been money-driven. Obviously, we need to – everyone needs to survive. You need to pay a mortgage and things like that. But it's never been the kind of number one focus of, of, of why I want to run a business. It's more – I guess the more control freak in me rather than the kind of the, the, <laughs> this empire of, of money. We're all um, a bit controlly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think from a from an employee kind of point of view, something you you touching on before is is that for me it's enthusiasm, and I think that uh, the rest I can teach. And I think if you're enthusiastic and you believe in something and we find someone whose values align and really get what we're trying to do, then I think that they're, you know, that, that's the right person. And, and we've built a, a great team of everyone that's got, you know, is very kind of value aligned in, in the team. They all kind of bring things in all the time that they've tried or that's kind of emerging within that space. And as, as part of our brand, we kind of, you know, we, we review those things and we push that out on kind of social media in terms of, oh, we've tried this. And you know, we, this was our kind of response to to this product and, you know, kind of linking those people in and, and really kind of championing people that 
that are trying to to do something a little bit differently um but also being kind of doing it with the understanding that I think there's a there's a there's been a real fear and and I've been part of that is to kind of put yourself out there from a kind of sustainability point of view is that there's a nervousness that that people are going to turn around and go oh well actually you're you're not sustainable you do this and and it's it feels like sometimes it has to be 110% perfect or nothing and and there's no kind there's no tolerance for if you've done something slightly wrong but actually it's, it should be more about kind of trying these things and and trying to to drive things forward. And do you find as well, you know, just touching on what you were saying, kind of linked into that before, you know, go proactively going out there and, and going after the business you want to win. When you get in front of them, do you find that because you are, you know, sustainability led, you are value led as a business compared to the competition that's out there that you might be fighting against? Do you find that that works to your advantage when you do eventually get in front of a client and, and almost pitch to them or, or speak to them about working with them? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think people get it. One of the things that, that we went through when we were going through like the process of kind of evaluating kind of where we were is here yeah, people don't really can consider it as who they who they work with. They might be you get wrapped up in your own little bubble and you're kind of like I'm doing this and this is great. And I believe in this, um, but you don't really consider where that kind of supply chain goes or like everything, your kind of support network. So a good example of that is we switched all our banking and pensions. So we no longer bank with a high street bank. We bank with uh, an ethical bank. We switched all our pensions out. And that came out the back of a conversation that was just like, who have you got your pensions with? You know, they're investing in kind of petrochemicals or worse, potentially arms and things like that. And and we were like, oh, you know, that's that's not what we want our money to be used for. So we kind of consciously switched those that's really things out. So that is part of the B Corp process that we've just been through, uh, where you get kind of you get checked across the board. And, and there's, there's a lot of things where you kind of question, oh, yeah, actually, I could change that. And it's a relatively small change, but actually makes quite a big difference. I mean, I just in terms of, um, you know, for you for the future, what do you see for your business, you know, and the people that you work with, how, you know, how, how are you, I mean, you were asked that question way back when by the agency, where do you see yourself in five years, but for your business, what do you want for, you know, um, for pretty clever studios? What do you want that to be in the future? Where do you see that? Is this a business that will be a legacy business or what, what do you think you're going to do with it? I should have an answer for this, and, and, and this is where the, the the imposter syndrome comes out of like the, the inner <laughs> businessman. Is that I haven't really got a plan for that. I want to exist for as long as I enjoy it, and I do enjoy it. And I don't feel like even before this, I, I enjoyed what I do. I don't, I don't feel like I've really kind of worked for fifteen years. That's not to say I don't work hard, and I haven't lost a lot of weekends and had a lot of disproving looks from my other half when I say, oh, actually, I've got to work this weekend or I'm not going to be home on time. But that is the nature of kind of, of running a business. So I don't, I don't think I've necessarily got a, a plan as such. Don't want to do myself too much of a disservice. We've got a financial plan to get us to 12. There's five of us at the moment. The goal is to get to 12. I've got someone that I work with that runs a very successful design business that, that helps me kind of sense check 
certain things. And his piece of advice quite early on was like, once you get past 12 and you stop getting everyone around one table, the dynamic changes significantly. So get to 12 and and then kind of reassess where you're yeah. at as to whether you want to go to the to the next level. It's a good piece of advice that very similar to us in the sense of, you know, small team, a lot of our meetings, although, you know, Janet and I, you know, have our own meetings, we do involve the team in a lot of those. And I think when it gets to a certain level, there is going to have to become that, that, you know, that moment where we, we probably can't have, you know, 12, 15, 20 people all putting that, you know, pitching in, it'll have to, you used to have to start to think about what the structure is going to look like who, you know, those different levels of, you know, those different tiers of management, you know, departments as well, because, you know, every business, albeit you are a, a design studio, you've, you you may need to have a finance team, HR, you know, your own in-house marketing, sales, and and that's where, you know, at that point, you probably start have to start thinking, do we go down that route? Do we do this? And it's, it's exciting, though. It's the, and that's the biggest challenge, I suppose, for any business that's going to grow an ethical business that starts with this idea of, you know, doing things differently in order to make things better. You know, mm-hmm. it's what you, and we'll go back to where we were at the very beginning of this conversation, that whole corporate culture. I mean, the thought of my business, our business becoming a corporate and, and having that culture would just horrify me because it's everything I fought against. However, the reality is, is that there is a vision. We have a vision, all of us, because we oh, we had a review of last year. Was it last week? I can't That's remember right. what week I'm in anymore. But, you know, we had a review. We look back on all the, the great things that happened in 2022, 23. We, we start with the good stuff and then we look at, well, okay, so what was it, what were our challenges? And always trying to look at it and how do we overcome it, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we're also conscious what I've also reminded ourselves of is that as we grow we have to be very mindful not to to cut ourselves off from each other and from the people who are going to join the business so they still feel it if one person's going somewhere everybody's going somewhere that's my view is you know I don't want just the upper echelons to be doing something if we're going to go on a trip you know whether it's abroad or whatever everyone's coming you know it doesn't matter whether they're the people who bring the business in or whether the people who, without, we couldn't operate any of the support people, everybody comes together. The challenge for us is, how do we make that work? But I know we've managed to make things work so far, so I know we're going to overcome that and we'll find a way to make it work. But when we get to 12, maybe we'll have another call with you and say, right, what are your thoughts on this, John? We're at 12. Now, what do we need to do to keep saying so we keep going? I'm not sure I've got the answers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I've got the answers, but I think, I think, look, if you're of the mindset where you do genuinely care about, you know, the impact that you have on others, your environment, on the world around you, et cetera, et cetera, then hopefully the answer will come, you know, a collective answer will will arrive that we can all work towards to continue having this ethical approach to business. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's base levels that I'd like to see everyone achieve um, but that we can kind of build on as organisations. And, you know, there's been lots of people always ask that question of like, how do you, how do you balance that kind of ethics with finance and things like that? Well, I'd, and, and we are quite fussy and, and so far we've, we've been okay with that and fingers crossed that 
that continues. But I think there that in an ideal world, there will be a base level that everyone kind of adheres to, that where everyone could be our client. And the end goal, I guess, is a little bit of you know, one of our USPs about us operating in the for good space isn't maybe a USP anymore because we don't have to niche because everyone's in that niche. I mean, we're, we're a long way from doing that, but we definitely are making inroads into that. I think that's one of the things that kind of really grabbed us about B Corp and, and why we decided to go on that journey um, is that that we believe that that's kind of a minimum operating standard. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's I mean we we got certified on Monday. We got notification that we're we're now a B Corp on Monday. Congratulations! How long did that take you to do? Two years. Wow. wow. Yeah, but part of that is part of that is is waiting for them to kind of check stuff and come back to you. And and the thing was is we decided to it was always on our radar. And then we went through COVID and COVID was tough. And we had a bit of spare time and we were like, why don't we kind of we've talked about this this B Corp thing since, you know, before we even started the business. Why don't we give it a go? So so we did that. But that's what everyone did, because everyone had downtime and anyone that's got kind of desires to be B Corp kind of used that downtime to to try and become B Corp. And so they just got absolutely swamped with with applications and so it's taken them a while to kind of to come back to us so part of that process it does sound like a tough process of two years but realistically it's not for us it wasn't two years work i think we decided to behave in a certain way from the off so that made it easier in that sense and we're small and we're service-led so there's a number of things that kind of worked in our favor to make it you know maybe a slightly more streamlined process for us i think definitely think it's it's harder to to retrofit a company that's existed for a while and then it's gone no you need to change all these values but companies have done it we wanted to kind of measure our idea of you know what we believe is good against a system that we could kind of benchmark against and other people that are in that space because you get points yeah and kind of like just the belief that actually that that's a good place for everyone to to start at i mean i, I remember when, when i first sat in my shed thinking about creating my i mean one of the first things i did was i spent four grand on introducing iso into the into our practice and, I, and then it was the ongoing cost. And I thought, I just gave myself a bit of a shake and said, Janet, you know, quality's always been really important. Because, I mean, it was, in, you know, it was instilled in me from when I started in business. We had BS5750, then we had ISO, then we had investment people. There were all these things, tick boxed things that embedding it throughout the business and getting everybody to believe in it was really hard. And not everybody stuck to it. So then when you came to the audit process, you thought, oh God, it's a nightmare. You spend months then getting consultants and it was just became an expensive nightmare. So I decided I made a very conscious decision then, do you know something? No, I'm not going to have this because quality should be evident in everything that you do. Your behaviors, your, you should have a trail. When you're training someone, they should there should be a process that they go, which they amend to their own style, but it should always say, I'm doing what's right. I'm doing what's right because I've been trained to do what's right. So looking at B Corp, you know, for me, we sort of set out with that, that ethic-based 
culture, the way that we work, doing what's right, always doing what's right. It's as simple as that. You know, we don't always get it right, but at least we've always done it right, you know, with what we with what we've got and with which are natural values. So looking at B Corps, I can see that it's a certificate, it's a, a great thing to have and you know something that we're we're gonna go down that journey because it's already embedded, I suppose, in the business. Mm. But we just haven't got the certificate to do it. And, you know, I think more and more companies, that's what they look for. They want to align themselves with other businesses yeah. that are, are B Corps or have that certification. But my concern always is, is again, there will be business to go, we'll go down the B Corps route, but will it be evident in everything they do? If they ask one of their colleagues, one of their 400 colleagues, if they grow to that size, do they believe in it? Do they see that is evident? That's the thing, I suppose. I would like to think that they would do because they, they're doing it for the right reasons rather than just to have the certificate and to increase profits. If you're an ethical business, your profits are never going to be as high as a business that doesn't focus purely on money because it costs more to do what's right. That's the yeah. reality. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it does. There's there's no question around that. And, and I've got some slight hangups about uh, sustainability being a middle class problem, and and actually seeing more people kind of uh, doing more to make it less of a middle class problem. I think B Corp for us was was a really good way of we had all these things that we were going to do, but it was a really good way of of forcing us to to actually have those processes documented yeah. and not being able to kind of change it. So part of it is changing your articles of association to making an actual kind of legal statement on company's house in, in terms of how you're going to behave as, as a business. So it was kind of holding us to account. And that job that we turned down, uh, you know, a while back, it's it's things like that. It's consideration of, you know, we scored quite a lot of points for the people that we work with because we specialize in in the for good space. And it's then being aware of that when we take people on as well as part of that process, when we take on new clients, you know, how does that feed into to where we sit as an organization? What's that going to do in terms of our, our grading in terms of being considered good uh so so for us it was it was a really good tool to kind of you know benchmark and and document those processes i see a big shift with organizations in terms of their their proposition not just to how they run their business but how they attract people in because there is absolutely no question no doubt that people want to they want to work with the business where they can I mean, we get asked that question now, don't we? What are their ethics? What, you know, they, they ask these particular questions. So for anybody out there that's thinking of recruiting, it is something to be mindful of is that, you know, colleagues or people who are looking for new jobs are looking for businesses where their values will be aligned, where, you know, they will be treated fairly, where they won't be asked to compromise on the things that they believe in, that they that there is a, a concern about the wider world rather than just within the world of the business. And, you know, what I really, I mean, one of the last things I want to look at is, you know, things that you, you did was 10% of your profits go to charities. I mean, yes. that's that's really fantastic. Is that, you know, I mean, do you, do you choose a particular charity or, you know, who's your, what do you do? How so do you we, cha we change it. We change it every year. So we have a different yeah. charity each year. Uh, we get the team to submit two of their favorite 
charities who they'd like to work with. Yep. Uh, yeah. We put that into the mix. We then go through a voting system where that then gets streamlined to kind of one charity each, and then that's kind of voted by the team and then if it goes uh, we had a draw this year and then we had to just then shortlist two and then voted on those luckily there's five members of the team so it was nice and easy um, so Good. one person was always <laughs> going to win and then yeah and that that's that's how we choose who we work with for, for that Good. throughout the year and then we do so we do so we do that each year and we've always done that we're working with the Dorset Children's Foundation this year. Uh, we also do things where we uh, we give everyone a paid volunteer day every year so they can take a day out of the studio. They don't have to use holiday to kind of volunteer for a cause that they care about. We've, ju- we've just done it again for, uh, for the charity that we've partnered with. And then what tends to happen is people do sponsored events throughout the year, which we've got budget set aside where we will sponsor our team to kind of do something for who they want to do something for. And then generally what happens is I'll do something for uh, the charity that we're partnered with so we get a little bit kind of extra cash donation to them each year and that's that's really really important for us we chose 10% of profit because it's pre-tax profit as well so it's kind of you know we want to kind of we want to give the maximum we can and there's there's lots of other people doing you'll see like one percent for the planet which is an initiative like a lot of people would adhere to where they do one percent of their turnover and at the moment it comes out for us at this size a, a very kind of similar amount um yeah but what it does mean that if we're not profitable there's no obligation to give and that's not because we don't want to we're desperate to do that but the health yes, of the business yeah. comes first it also Absolutely. means that if we scale to 12 then actually it it becomes more we've we've done all the maths and it it becomes more like kind of 3 to 4% of our turnover as we scale yeah. so the bigger we get uh, the more we'll we'll donate so yeah so that's uh, it's something that we love doing and it's something that we've done since since day 1 likewise Amazing. likewise yeah i mean i'm going to ask you, i was going to ask you about the chicken but you already sent me a message so the chicken is no longer has departed this mortal coil. But I love the, just yes. tell us quickly about the chicken, will you? Because it just intrigued me when I read about it. I thought, okay. Oh, it's on It's on our website. It's it's because <laughs> it, it just really summarizes like the, the whole team. So, so the team is, it's me, it's Kate, who's my other half. Um, it's Amy, Lisa and Ruth. Um, they all do, you know, they're all kind of living and breathing all of that stuff day to day and Amy rescued some chickens but that was that was a while back and and Agatha was one of those chickens and features on our website but but sadly she's no longer with us but um, we have got other kind of rescue animals so Ruth took a drive there was a defra ban on importing animals from eastern europe so she rescued a dog from romania and her and her other half had to drive to to romania to yeah. get to get this dog and bring <laughs> it back so these people that that, that work for us there they they are genuine like people that the, the authenticity is there they're all kind of trying to do different things um everyone's doing different sponsored things um you know amy's done that kind of couple of hundred k's lisa was doing some uh like a a walk for trying to do 100k in a month these people are doing are doing really lovely things sounds like a great team john it's been an absolute an absolute pleasure talking to you i hope you've enjoyed it and we want to wish you continued success and happiness in in what you're doing and i'm looking forward to watching you grow and yeah 
you know, to your 12. When you get to 12, give us a ring. Yeah, let's let's talk again. Let's talk 12. when you get to 12. <laughs> <laughs> let's keep in touch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to find out a little bit more about ourselves and what we do, please visit our website, wearemarmion.com. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.